And Jesus liking the work of the church as new wine. That he was coming to present something that would not fit in the old system of Judaism. But as new wine, a superior way of salvation was being introduced by God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But know this, everything that the Lord does is superior, especially the work of salvation. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. All right, you fellowship junkies. As you find your seats, you can find your way in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 2. Looking at a message I titled this morning, He Knows Our Hearts. From chapter 1, we know that Andrew, possibly John, were the disciples of John the Baptist, and they had become disciples of Jesus. By the end of the chapter, we have met five of Jesus' disciples, John, unnamed, but he names Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. If John's there, I have to believe that his brother James is not too far behind, and so possibly six. It tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 43, that the disciples followed Jesus up into the Galilee. So we find them now leaving the area of the Jordan River where John was baptizing, making their way into the Galilee. And today we'll find... Jesus at the marriage feast in Cana. He'll journey over to Capernaum, which we know becomes his home base, and then he'll make his way down to Jerusalem to close out the chapter. So I titled the message, He Knows Our Hearts, and we're going to see a wedding in Cana in verses 1 through 12, a cleansing in Jerusalem, verses 13 through 17, a sign for the world, verses 18 through 22, and the knowledge of our Savior, verses 23 through 25. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, get us into the first passage that we find in John 2. Open us up in prayer, and we'll get into the teaching of God's Word. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, 
What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six water pots of stone there, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out good wine. And then when his guests were well drunk, then that which is inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And this he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Father, we pray that you'd open scripture to us today, Lord. Help us not only to learn of the events that were recorded here in the Gospel of John concerning Jesus' life, but Father, I pray that you'd help us to learn from these events, whether in Cana or Capernaum or in Jerusalem that we'll read about today. Father, help us to learn how we can walk as your followers in the day and age that we live in and trust in you in all things, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we have a, a wedding in Cana and Jesus at this celebration of a marriage in verses 1 and 2. So we have on the third day, John has been following this timeline so far in his gospel from chapter 1 all the way into chapter 2. So the third day would mean after Jesus called Philip and Nathaniel to be his disciples, the seventh day of John's account, we have this wedding in Cana. It was most likely a family event as Jesus' mother Mary was there. At this point, Jesus was pretty much unknown. But after this wedding feast, his renown would begin to be recorded throughout Israel and ultimately, as we know, throughout the world. I like it that God, in the beginning, it tells us he created the heavens and the earth. And by the time we get toward the end of Genesis chapter 2, we find God performing a marriage ceremony with Adam and Eve and the first marriage there in the Bible. And here we find that in John's gospel, as we read in chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. Here in the very next chapter, he's at a wedding celebrating a marriage ceremony. Now, I don't think Jesus was doing the marrying at this time, but he was there, and it reminds us, as Scripture tells us, in Hebrews 13, 4, that marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, that God honors the marriage covenant made between a man and a woman. And we see that in the celebration of this marriage feast of John chapter 2. Well, as we know, in verses 3 through 5, when they had run out of wine, Mary came to Jesus and informed him that they had no wine. Jesus responded, 
responding to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? So what does your concern, Mary, this is your deal, your family, it's his family as well. But uh, one of the things, just the address, woman, mom, um, I don't know if it was like uh, a guy saying to his wife, woman, <laughs> what's this got to do with me? I don't think it was in that sense. There was something more that was on Jesus's mind. Now, there could have been something that was on Mary's heart as well. Some of the Bible commentators throughout the years have proposed that Mary had been concerned about the gossip that has surrounded the birth of her son, Jesus. And in fact, we get to John's gospel in chapter 8, verse 41. The Jews will say to Jesus, we were not born of fornication, giving us perhaps a hint that they thought, Jesus, we know that you're the illegitimate birth. We've heard about that of Mary. You're not the son of Joseph. He wasn't. They didn't believe that he was the son of God. And so it could be that Mary was saying, all right, Jesus, it's about time you let the world know. Gabriel came to me, announced your birth. I saw the miracles early on in your life that surrounded your coming, the miracle of your birth in itself. But the rest of the people, they do not know who you are. So isn't it about time that you reveal yourself? And it could be what's behind Mary's concern here. Not just that they had run out of wine, although that was the immediate need of the hour. Or it could be as simple as they're out of wine. But Jesus turned it to his hour. As he responded to her, my hour has not yet come. And this is a theme that we find throughout the Gospel of John. We find it mentioned ten times, whether using the, the word hour or time, but Jesus, in John 2, 4, John 7, 6, John 7, verse 8, my hour or time has not yet come. And John making commentary in John 7, 30 and John 8, 20, that his hour had not yet come. And then we get to chapter 12 and we find uh, a change as we get to the getting close to the final week of Jesus, and we find that the hour has come. Chapter 12, verse 23, 13, verse 1, 17, verse 1. And we find Jesus even praying in John 12, 27, twice in that verse, saying, Father, save me from this hour. And it tells us that Jesus was on a God-ordained timetable that could not be interrupted. And that's why like in John 7.30 and John 8.20, that John made commentary, his hour had not yet come. These events that when they tried to take him by force to be king, it wouldn't happen. His hour had not yet come. This was not the time. And so this could be what is behind Jesus' saying here. But I like it that Mary took her concern to Jesus. And this is what I want us to see here today as well is that we can take our need and we can give it to Jesus and, and we can just cast it before him. As it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. This past Monday, I went to my dad's old church over in Zion. One of my mom's friends had passed away. And so I, I had to go and for a couple of reasons. I wanted to go see the church again. I haven't been in there for a while. And uh, 
I wanted to pay tribute to this great woman of faith that had served that community for so many years. And at her funeral, there was definitely a tribute being paid to Bernice and the great faith that she had in Jesus Christ. And she had a very similar story in that of my own family and my mom coming to faith first, so did Bernice. They were only a year apart from one another in age, and they followed a very similar path to where in my family I can tie a lot of what the Lord has done as a result of mom coming to faith and those who followed in her footsteps, becoming believers in Jesus Christ, following with my dad and my sisters and family members beyond that, of course. Same thing for Bernice's family as she gave her heart to Jesus uh, there in a church in Zion so many years ago. But what was really just encouraging to me, Bernice had been sick for about five years. And in November, she was told by the doctors that there's nothing more that we can do. And she went on hospice care at that point. And we were at the funeral on this past Monday. So a week before she passed away, on her deathbed and dealing with her own pangs of mortality, she saw her children, her grandchildren there in the room, grieving over the potential loss of this great saint. And it was Bernice who said to her children, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. That is just such a, a great moment of faith for that family to hear from their patriarch, to cast their cares upon the Lord. And Mary knew that she could take her concerns to Jesus, whatever they might be. And what care, what anxiety, what concern, what need could you bring to Jesus today that he cannot meet? You know, there's a companion verse to 1 Peter 5, 7 in Psalm 55, 22, which says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So whatever the need, can I encourage you today to cast it upon Jesus? He cares for you. Well, we find in verses 6 through 8 that the servants, they were obedient to the Lord's command. There was six stone water pots there, waters of uh, purification, containing some 20 to 30 gallons apiece, John tells us there. These water pots were used for the guests to wash their hands before dinner. It was more of a ceremonial washing than actually cleaning up before supper, but still it was a custom of the Jews, and the Orthodox Jews took this very seriously. It was a big deal for them. In, in Mark 7, verse 3, it tells us, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the traditions of the elders. In verse 4, when they come in from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. That's what the jars were there for. They were empty because they had been used by the guests. But notice that the servants obeyed Jesus. Having run out of wine, they filled the water pots and they served it from the water pot, a cup of wine, to the master of ceremonies. They knew the whole truth that was behind the situation, yet they obediently followed the Lord. It didn't make sense. They're out of wine. Take them some water. And I don't know when the, the miracle happened. Did it happen when they filled up the water? It doesn't tell us. 
As they filled it up, did it supernaturally turn into wine? Was it when they scooped it out? It was water until they scooped it out and put it in the chalice to serve to the people? Or was it when the people received it? We don't know. But they were obedient to the Lord's command. And from the human perspective, it did not make sense whatsoever. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Have you ever been in a situation where you obeyed the voice of the Lord, even though from human perspective, what you were doing did not make sense? And it was only after you obeyed the Lord and began walking in the path that the Lord was directing you that all the pieces of the puzzle came together and it began to make sense. Well, I'm convinced there are times that I have obeyed the Lord and although it may not have made sense to me while I was obeying the Lord, there are times I never discovered. I th- I'm convinced that I'm going to get to heaven one day and I'm, then I'm going to know. Well, that's what you were up to. I had no idea. And Jesus will say, yeah, I know. But still, your job was to obey, to walk in obedience, to trust in the Lord in all your ways and lean not unto your own understanding. And I think probably one of our greatest hindrances in ministry is that we far too often lean upon our own understanding instead of trusting in and acknowledging the ways of the Lord in our lives. Well, the master of ceremony received the wine, verses 9 through 11, and he proclaimed it as superior. Having tasted the wine, he called the bridegroom over. And he said, you know, this is the custom that when the wedding starts, you bring out the good stuff. And then when everybody gets a little tipsy and they don't know any better, then you bring out the inferior wine. But you guys saved the best for last. Didn't make sense to the master of ceremony, but he praised the groom for what had taken place. And sometimes as obedient servants of Jesus, we get to see the bigger picture of those that we are serving, like the water turned to wine and his announcing that it was superior. There could be something else at play here in this story as well. As Jesus came on the scene, he was not coming on to try to tweak Orthodox Judaism. He was not coming to try to improve upon the Old Testament laws. In fact, the Bible tells us that he came to fulfill, not destroy. But also, he would say in Luke 5, 37 and 38, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and it will be spilled and the wineskin will be ruined. The new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And Jesus liking the work of the church as new wine, that he was coming to present something that would not fit in the old system of Judaism, But as new wine, a superior way of salvation was being introduced by God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But know this, everything that the Lord does is superior. Should we think any less? 
I mean, people will take this that Jesus turned water into wine and and they'll poke at it, they'll make fun of it, they'll make the reason of why they drink. Well, Jesus, you know, he turned water into wine. But to know that everything he does is superior, especially the work of salvation. There are so many people in this world seeking a way by which they might be saved. And nothing will satisfy except Jesus. In fact, his is not only superior to all others, the way of the cross is the only way. As Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Well, John tells us in verses 11 and 12 that this was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him, verse 11. So this was the beginning. This was the first miracle. So if you're ever in a supermarket line, and you're looking at all the advertisements and magazines that they have there, as I once was at Jewel Food Store in Zion many years ago. And I saw this little booklet talking about the early miracles of Jesus, which if you want to look them up, you can find them, where one story they tell of Jesus on a Sabbath day making these little clay birds. And when he was reprimanded for making the clay birds on the Sabbath, he waved his hands or clapped his hands and the birds flew away alive. John tells us this is the first one. By the way, the early infancy miracles of Jesus comes from what is called the Gospel of Thomas, which has been in the news a lot lately, saying why shouldn't we trust this Gospel like the other Gospels? Well, one of the reasons we don't trust the Gospel of Thomas is because it was written between AD 200 and 300, It wasn't written just after the time of Christ. It was written a couple of hundred years later, and the author of this gospel used one of the disciples' names and placed it upon it. So it's not a work of the Lord, not a work of the Holy Spirit. The significance of this, for us, is his first miracle. So if anybody wants to debate you about this on Facebook or some other social media, take them to John chapter 2, verse 11. And show them this verse. They'll still debate you, but at least you can stand upon something. Say, well, I don't know why. Well, now you know why. It's the first miracle. But it manifested his glory. It reminds us of John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It manifested his glory, his reputation, his fame. Doxa is the Greek word. And his disciples believed in him. They hadn't seen everything that Jesus was going to do. And they did not know the end that would lead to his crucifixion and resurrection. But they believed that this is the Messiah as Andrew and Philip testified. And Nathaniel last week from chapter 1. They gave testimony that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah, this is the prophet. I hope that we can remember with the wedding in Cana that in any situation we can cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. May we remember that the one great sign that's been given to us in Scripture is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
and concerning the knowledge of our Savior. Well, if we're believers here today, then concerning the knowledge of Jesus, we should have hearts filled with thanksgiving. Lord, knowing my heart, you saved me. If you do not know Christ as your Savior today, then knowing that Jesus knows your heart and knowing that he came to give his life upon the cross for your sin, the only thing you need to do then is to believe in him that you might be saved. Father, thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful chapter. We thank you, Lord, as detailed as John was, and he didn't go into everything. He admits that toward the end of his gospel. Not every miracle was recorded, but he recorded these for us that we might believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Father, I pray that the teachings that we glean throughout the Gospel of John this year, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would grow us in our faith to trust in you, to believe in you, to walk in your ways, always. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.